Hello, hello to probably no one, but people on the VOD. It's me and Ben here with uh, Flossy for the People, which I definitely just didn't read off the top because I forgot again what it was called. <laughs> uh, and today we're going to be talking about some kind of Ben Burgess classics. And we're going to be hitting Rolls, we're going to be hitting Cohen, and we're going to be talking about Marx. And we're going to be trying to talk about how these three um, approach justice and equality. How would you frame it? Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good uh, that's a good way to frame it. Um, that it's you know I I guess one way that I would think about it is that um, there's if people know a little bit about late twentieth century analytic political philosophy, and I certainly want to talk to people who who don't, <laughs> but uh, but if you don't, uh, you know then. You know, if you do, then you might know. Okay, look, if there's, um, you know, probably like probably the two authors who are most commonly assigned uh, in in you know political philosophy, justice stuff within uh, within you know sort of analytic tradition are John Rawls uh, and Robert Nozick. Uh, Nozick's mm -hmm. uh, Nozick's <laughs> libertarian. Uh, Rawls is a liberal in some sort of non non libertarian sense, uh, and uh, and if you if you have which you know if you had a really good class, uh, you might have also been assigned this guy G. A. Cohen, uh, who is is my favorite of the bunch, uh, who's a Marxist, and Cohen does different things in different phases of his career. Uh, he spent a lot of time arguing with libertarians like Nozick. Uh, he spent a lot of time defending Marx's theory of history. But one of the things that he does is attack uh, Rawls, uh, John Rawls's theory of justice. And, you know, so the sort of general perception of this would be, okay, well, that makes sense because Rawls is a liberal and Cohen's a Marxist. And so when they're arguing about justice, when they're arguing about how much inequality is too much, uh, then it makes sense that the the Marxist is is attacking the liberal from the left, and what I want to do in the you know in the essay is to try to complicate that and say well yes and no that there's like it's not there's no sense in which that's true but I think when you actually start to bring in Marx's own views about this stuff things get a little bit less clear. Right, I think the kind of big move in the essay is when <clears throat> when you basically say that Marx endorses Rawls as difference principle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we should probably say what what that is uh, at some point. But yeah, I, I think yeah, it's, it's, I think this will be interesting for me because the Marxist critique of Rawls I know is from mm -hmm. Raymond Geis, who he uses Rawls basically as an example of kind of a perfect example of doing political philosophy in the wrong way mm -hmm. um, with his critique of ideal versus real political philosophy. So it's obviously interesting because Cohen is a Marxist, but an analytic Marxist. So he isn't coming from that angle and he's willing to do ideal politics, um, but just wants to do it in a different way to Rawls. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, look, this, that, that's as good as any, you know, as, as a way of, as like a kind of takeoff point, because I don't, you know, I don't just kind of want to, you know, to, to recap, you know, what I, what I say. In the, go read uh, the essay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go read the essay. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I'll, I want to use it as a, 
you know, jumping off point for, for interesting conversations. So, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, like, yeah, why not, why not do that? I mean, like, cause, cause I think this is something that's sort of going on a little bit in the, in the very last part of what I wrote, you know, but it's, it's, it's very much not the emphasis. <laughs> it's a very long essay, yeah, yeah, which I kept thinking was about to end and then didn't. Yeah. It's like, it's like the, um, it's like the return <laughs> of the king, you know, the, uh, this, this, uh, the, you keep thinking that the screen's going black, you know, surely we're done, but now we have to ra- wrap up something. <laughs> oh, fuck, the Shire. Yeah, we'd go With back the to the boats. Shire. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really going to restrain myself better next week, I promise. But um, this is uh, this one's been brewing for a while, <laughs> so there, there was a lot to uh, there's a lot to say. Uh, so yeah, what, what, like yeah, so the very very last part of all this, there's like a little bit that kind of wanders into the territory that you're that you're talking about but um but it, it it's not the emphasis but i mean i think you know i think people who are watching um you know watching this and you know this revolution gtaa you know like uh people who are into these debates i mean that might be where some of them are coming from so like uh i would you know yeah i I'd be interested in, in getting into to hear a little bit more from you about the, the guest stuff. Um, I mean, just to maybe, maybe it's just like a, you know, two minute, like, I guess maybe the way to do this, like just kind of a two minute sort of Rawls 101 and then get into like different kinds of Marxist critiques of it. Yeah. Why don't you go on Rawls and then I can go on ideal versus real politics. Yeah. Sounds good. So, um, so, so Rawls, um, you know, is, yeah, he, he's a, he's a liberal philosopher. I would kind of remind people that the word liberal means a lot of different things in different contexts. Um, and, you know, one of those things. Say, I was going to say yeah. this means he's a Democrat, but presumably he was actually. <laughs> yeah. Rawls himself probably was, but, uh, but that's not really what the, that's not, that's not really what we mean when we call him a liberal philosopher. Um, that yeah, so we 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 certainly use the word liberalism to mean like liberalism as opposed to radicalism. That's uh that that's one way that the word has been very often used since you know going back to the nineteenth century even. Uh, but uh, and certainly in the context of like contemporary, you know, Anglo-American politics, you know, we 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 use it to make sort of uh, we use the word liberal. Um, oftentimes in a derogatory way, I certainly use it that way all the time, um, to, to make, you know, um, you know, Hillary, Bernie, Starmer, Corbin sort of, sort of distinctions. Um, but that's not really what we're talking about when we, we talk about liberalism, you know, like philosophical liberalism. Um, and when we are talking about that, there are different kinds of things you could mean. You could mean like, you know, I agree with everything John Locke said or something like that, but, like there, there is also just sort of a broader way to talk about it that like you sort of care a lot about thinking about what sort of packages of basic rights people have. You, you're, you know, you're sort of proceeding from this, uh, this liberal assumption. And this is a sense in which honestly, Karl Marx is as, as much of a liberal as anybody is that, you know, that everybody, um, of like sort of universal moral equality, you know, everybody, you know, whatever that package of basic rights is, everybody has it. Um, and you know, this is, you know, Rawls is certainly not a liberal in the sense, even in the sort of philosophical sense of like agreeing with John Locke about everything and being very intense about property rights or anything like that. Uh, you know, he's, he's a liberal in that sort of more diffuse sense that I just gave. 
And his particular view about how to think about those packages of rights and all that is uh, that he thinks that, you know, he's interested in justice, uh, in, um, in, in thinking about what makes the basic institutions of society just. And he thinks that you, the question to ask yourself is, well, would this, would these institutions be endorsed by somebody from, uh, who is picking societies from behind the veil of ignorance, what you referred to jokingly at the end of our last conversation is, uh, reverse heaven. Reverse heaven, because it's because uh, it's like before you're born, <laughs> you know, and uh, and it's it's sort of the uh, the opposite in a weird way. But like you know, you, you know you're going to have to live in whatever society you're designing. You don't know who you're going to be, so there are all these like really straightforward consequences to that. Like you know, you wouldn't want Jim Crow laws about race because you don't know whether you're going to be black or white, um, and then there are like sort of subtler, more interesting consequences about economic inequality because you'd be generally just trying to advance your own interests from behind the veil of ignorance, which, you know, is sort of, you know, I, I Rawls scholars are screaming out in agony over this oversimplification, but like, uh, you know, the just like very, you know, at a, at a rough intuitive approach to like why I mean, this... it's, it's a very evocative kind of example yeah. of thought experiment, because I think one of the most common questions you get on, R slash as philosophy is someone being like try, giving like a vague explanation of the, the veil of ignorance um, mm-hmm. and being like, I learned this in high school. I really want to remember what it is. Tell me. So it really <laughs> sticks in people's brains and is very effective in that way. Totally, um, right? Because I think it does latch on to a really powerful intuition that people have about justice that you're, you know, that like an institution is unjust if you know it's like treating some somebody unfairly and like a you know reasonable test of whether it's treating people unfairly is if they themselves would go along with it you know or if you would go along with it if you thought you might be in their position um and and yeah i think that's like there's a lot of complexity around it and around the way that rawls is thinking about it but i think that like the the kind of core of it i mean i i think it makes total sense to me that it sticks in people's heads like that and then like the the sort of part that's going to be most relevant to the kind of controversies that I'm interested in the piece, although maybe we've already said enough to sort of, you know, launch you on guess, but I mean, like the, the part that's going to be most relevant to that is the sort of specific principles that Rawls thinks people would endorse from behind the veil of ignorance, which are um, that, okay, you obviously, you know, racial discrimination or gender discrimination or anything like that would be, would be bad for straightforward reasons that, you know, that you, you know, you might end up getting the short end of the stick. And for the same reason, um, general economic inequality would at least sort of be like, you know, presumed guilty until proven innocent that like, you know, your, your general tendency uh, from, yeah, is against it because you know you you might end up on the the wrong end of it. You might you know you might be born into a poor family instead of a rich one, or you know, and if you are born into a poor family, you know you might or might not have you know the sort of particular skills and you know winning hand to you know climb your way out of it. Um, so there is this like strong presumption against economic inequality, but Rawls thinks it's a defeasible presumption because it could be that some inequalities you'd still sign off on from uh, behind the veil of ignorance because you would, uh, you would benefit more with them there than not. Uh, So like if, uh, if you have uh, just, you know, just the sort of stupid examples, right. I mean, if you have people, 
you know, U.S. Society A and Society B and Society A is 100% egalitarian. Everybody has exactly the same share of the resources. In Society B, we give 2% more to uh, to engineers. Then, you know, more people want to be engineers and they come up with, like, innovations that end up benefiting everybody. And that makes, you know, and 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 that makes the short end of the stick of that society still longer than the... Is, is, it, Noz- is it Nozick or is it another capitalist who gives the example of, like, uh, like the legitimate millionaire is kind of the the person that people free like a sportsman that people freely choose like a million people give him a dollar. Yeah. So, right. So Nozick, yeah, Nozick has the uh, the Will Chamberlain example. So Will Chamberlain, uh, it's a really dated reference now, but he he was back when Nozick was writing. <laughs> he was good at uh, sport. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and very popular. Like I think he. He famously, like Nozick, famously claimed to have like slept with five hundred women or something like. That. I don't remember exactly what the number was, but it was it was it was you know epic numbers and you know and and, and it spoke perhaps to his larger popularity. And uh, uh, Chamberlain did not Robert Nozick, uh, who, <laughs> who, who was a professor. But yeah, and. Uh, so, so it says, okay, imagine that you, so, so this is Nozick's like objection to Rawls. You know, Nozick says, look, um, let's say Rawls is right. That like, um, whatever the just distribution of resources is, is what people would sign off on behind the, the uh, veil of ignorance. So, and let's assume that you started off with exactly the kind of society that Rawls think we, thinks we should have. Everybody has exactly, you know, as much money in their bank account as you think they should have. And then um, and then uh, Wilt Chamberlain asked for people to, you know, give him a dollar each or whatever to, you know, to watch him play basketball. Um, that, you know, I, I think in Nozick's version, it's actually ticket prices, but you can make it better and uh, and just have it be like a tip jar. So it's like, you know, we're not even making people to do this to watch right. the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, so free exchange possible. <laughs> yeah it's the most free exchange possible nozick has a line about how um look it's according to you it's their money to do with what they want like you know they could spend it on whatever he gives a few different examples of things they could send it on his one little pot shot is they could be spending on copies of dissent magazine which is a socialist magazine I, I, I suppose if you were writing now uh he would say jacobin uh it's a sublation magazine of course <laughs> Yeah. magazine.com. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I, I don't know. Is there physical <laughs> physical sublation magazine that people you can't you can't actually buy it? There's no way to buy a sublation magazine. Yeah, exactly. Soon, uh, soon in New Zealand and Asia, there'll be a way to buy sublation magazine. So nice, nice. Uh, so, but so I, yeah, I, I, I bring up the Nordic example um, because I think it's oh, interesting. Uh, uh, just get just get say, so, so the result of this is that that before you know it, uh, Chamberlain is like the richest man in the world. Yet even though like he's clearly not supposed to be according to your scheme, so according to you, this must be an injustice. But like, come on, no, it's not. Would be, it's uh, would be yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I think kind of the 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 example of the Will Chamberlain thing is is interesting because it does kind of offer kind of an evocative example, but kind of the point I think that would be made by Raymond Goyce, I don't know, I don't want to stereotype roles, but I think uh, Goyce very much stereotypes roles and uses them basically as an example to make this distinction between real and ideal politics. 
where on ideal politics, which is what Rawls is doing, you kind of first imagine kind of, and obviously it isn't true because obviously Rawls is from the real world. So he, he does in fact begin with the real world, but kind of the theory, the theory begins with an ideal world. It begins with this kind of veil of ignorance. Um, and then we kind of imagine what a world would look like. Mm-hmm. Goyce's point is to say that you're just mistaken from the start. To not do what Cohen does and not do what Noizic does, which is to critique it kind of internally, but to mm-hmm. critique it and say, you've just started at the wrong point. What you should be doing is analyzing the real conditions that people live in, analyzing kind of the real political forces which exist, which can possibly make change, and begin with them and move with those. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kind of like an example, like Noizic, instead of saying like, instead of fiddling around with uh, kind of the example, you, you'd pick up your copy of Capital and be like, well, that's not actually how things go in capitalism, is it, mate? You know? Yeah. Um, and obviously this, this, this stereotypes roles. Um, and obviously it kind of does get into difficulties with how, what philosophy is in the West in the 21st century. And I think that's my kind of main disagreement with Goyce, that it's kind of, it is a non-empirical subject. And it seems that maybe there should at least be someone kind of doing ideal stuff, even if we are really clear that kind of what matters more than that is is real politics. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think that's good. So, right, because the core stuff you're saying, I think, does get down to like a, a very obvious, like a straightforward kind of um, kind of marxist uh critique of um of of Rawls and you know the sort of marxist that would that would say this would would be like you know and also cohen for that matter right you know because because yeah. he's also doing ideal theory uh you know he's, he's thinking about sort of you know reasoning a priori about how what standards we apply to uh to to societies and yeah, like I said, this is like lightly touched on in the essay, but I think it's probably worth unpacking a little bit more and thinking a little bit, a little bit more about, like, because, uh, because I, I'm with you. I don't. I'm, I'm not ultimately persuaded by this this critique, but I think there's like something to it that there's like because uh, if you think that, I mean, if you think about like Marx's critique of uh, utopian so- socialists or Engels's critique of utopian socialists, that's like a lot of that's about you know people who are just going to be sort of like well look i'm gonna my ear is attuned to the demands of justice you know so i know exactly how society should be organized and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna come up with my you know detailed plan and then you know once we bring in political activists and organizers you know like 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 all that's left for you guys to do is to is to carry it out right you know that they just just make sure make sure you don't lose your copy of my book you know so so you can you know you know when problems arise you know you can check and see and see what you're supposed to do and that stuff right i mean marxism really is uh uh really is reacting uh to um it really is reacting to uh, to to that, right? Because because said, no, look, you have to look at the historical tendencies, like concrete material conditions, and what kind of possibilities arise and don't arise at like given points in history. Because of that, and you know, there's there's some like there's all this big like through line in a lot of classical Marxist thought that like says like what you know that like what 
sort of society emerges in the future is already like contained in the present in some way, you know? And, and so it's like, I think there's like, a, I think there is some, um, at least one, you know, maybe kind of uncharitable way of reading what you're doing when you're doing an ideal theory, you know, like, like I think there is a lot of grounds that, that Marxists could, could object to that from. Uh, the question is like, okay, but once we say, yeah, you're sure. Right. You know, don't be Fourier or whatever. Right. Like, like, and, and have the, um, uh, and, and have the, the detailed plan that, you know, that you, you think, uh, it's just like, well, justice clearly tells us what, you know, what we should do and, and we should, uh, and so, so we'll just, that, that those are our marching orders and we'll just go, go forth and, and, and bend reality into that shape. Or it's like, I remember Sartre, uh, has, uh, uh, has this book, uh, Search for Method, where he he has a joke about the um, like communist bureaucrats in uh, in Hungary who who thought uh, that they you know they could like if there wasn't uh, uh, you know it's like all right that you needed like a subway under Budapest and if the you know the soil wouldn't cooperate it was counter revolutionary you know you right. just kind of had to make it you know <laughs> like uh, you know so it's like all right don't don't be like those people you know i think there's something to that but then the question and, and you know yeah i'd like to kind of hear from from you how you how you see this uh, uh is like okay but sure fair enough but like uh is there a more reasonable way to interpret what we're doing when we're doing ideal theory like actually you know that actually does still have a legitimate place once you kind of absorb that critique yeah because i mean i think oh and the other thing i think to mention is that kind of how gois puts it is basically that ideal political theory or ideal political philosophy is submits itself basically to being applied ethics like a form of applied ethics but that's something I think we should probably do. Apply ethics, you know. Yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, you know, like, um... <laughs> like as a critique, that doesn't really work for me. Um, I, I really mostly agree with with Gois, um, uh. in terms of kind of. But I think if there's one place for the sort of kind of ideal theorizing, it is exactly philosophy, mm -hmm. uh, which is not to mean, which is not to say that. Um, I'm all sympathetic to Rawls as veil of ignorance. I'm a big yeah. hater of that, but that's a different thing to kind of denouncing ideal theory entirely. Because I think really the problem for me with Rawls's ideal theory is basically by kind of taking the subject completely out of the world and doing the reverse heaven thing. Uh. It kind of it has the same problems of actual heaven in the sense of kind of like, well, who's up there? And like, how do I how do I get on with all the feudalists up there, you know? And, and these kinds of problems, like, who is the subject which is choosing, right? Mm -hmm. Is it an ahistorical subject? And that seems to me impossible. And not just a subject, we're asking for a political subject, right? Yeah. Um, and I think if we, we take history seriously, there haven't really been that many political subjects out of the total subjects, you know, that, that have existed. Um, how can we have even a historical subject, which, which, like, what language are they thinking in? I know this is kind of getting a bit too, like, with philosophy, you should kind of go along with these things. But it yeah. really does seem a problem to me that kind of, like, 
or, or, we, or do we just say that they, I think this is the correct move, is to actually say, well, this is a, a, a modern liberal subject um, uh, who's, who's thinking these things. And we aren't, when, we make, when we're doing this ideal theory, we're not making a principle for infinity. We're not mm -hmm. making a principle for a different mode of production. We're not making a principle that can be applied to a different society. We're instead thinking through the possible principles that could be applied to our own society without saying that this is the once and for ideal theory of justice, which applies universally, ahistorically, and so on. Um, and that, that's the kind of move I would make, but I don't think it's the one that Rawls does. Uh, no, no. And it's also not the one I'd make. So, so this could be fun. Um, so, so, I think, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, so, oh yes. Yeah, so, so there are like a couple issues here. One is like, is ideal theory itself like inconsistent with historical materialism, uh, that, uh, that, that is, is it like, is it inconsistent, you know, like, like, is there a legitimate role for, for thinking about, you know, what would count, like, you know, trying to like figure out what would count as maximally just society, uh, that's like sort of consistent with absorbing some of these historical materialist lessons we've been talking about. That's one question. And maybe you and I might agree more about that, that question. But then like the other question is, okay, well, once we've settled that, how about Rawls' specific stab at it, right? right. You know, and, and that's where I think you and I probably disagree more, even though, uh, even though I do ultimately come down on the side of saying that Cohen had a point and and um, and his his criticism of Rawls that, uh, that oh Cohen, don't don't worry, I've also got a lot of hate for Cohen. To, to yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, that's uh, yeah. I uh, whereas I, I love them both so much that that I wrote this uh, I wrote this long essay to to show how they can be reconciled. And uh, even though Cohen does have a point in his criticism, you know, there's still a sense in which Rawls is right. Uh, so uh, so yeah, that definitely makes it more interesting. So so yeah, I, I guess just um, you know on the um, so like on the more general subject before going to Rawls specifically, I would say that. I do think that um, that that ideal theory is consistent with with the sort of good historical materialist objections, utopianism, and and all that stuff. Uh, and and I actually think ideal theory is fine. You know, like like I think it's I think it's a totally legitimate uh, philosophical enterprise, and and it can even to some extent inform you know lefty political commitments. Um, that. And that it's consistent with all the historical material stuff we just said, uh, because I want to separate out the issue of like, okay, what's possible right now? Uh, what's, you know, like, like is if there are certain possibilities can, you know, like, sure, there's some sense. Absolutely. You're doing real politics. You want to say, here are the possibilities that are contained within the present, right? You know, which one, which one of these am I going to try to actualize? Like that's, that's what you're doing clearly. But then I think there's this slightly different question that is still um, that is like okay, but how is that choice guided, right? In other words, like even if you you know if you read Capital, um, Marx like that book, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, you know mathematical kind of analysis, but there's also a lot of like raw moral outrage uh, that's like seeping from the pages a lot of the times, you know, that the, when he's, um, you know, when, when, when he's talking about, you know, like the, 
uh, you know, struggle for the 10 hour day and like the, you know, like, like child labor from, you know, people in like match factories to, you know, who's like, um, you know, the most, you know, desperate people. This is like half starved widows, you know, giving their, their kids. Right. To and when he's, when he ironizes kind of the bourgeois moralists in, in, in the capital who want things to be otherwise than they are, but they can't accept kind of the, the real possibilities of changing things. That's not him being a nihilist, right? There's clearly behind that a different theory of how things should be. Yeah, totally, right? Exactly. So it's like he has normative preferences. Like everybody has normative preferences. There, there are ways that you think you approve or disapprove of of things that are going on. There, there, you know, outcomes that you you'd either welcome or or reject. Uh, you know, you'd you'd have like all that stuff, right? Clearly, like because because how could you not? I mean, like I think um, like you know, probably you'd have to be like more of a sociopath than people we call sociopaths actually are, you know, to, uh, to, to not like have any of that. And, uh, and Marx is certainly, yeah, as you said, there's, there are sort of implicit moral values all over the place. And, uh, and, you know, every once in a while explicit, but mostly implicit because, you know, Marx is not a moral philosopher. He's a political economist. He's a theorist of history. Uh, he's not engaged in like philosophical reflection on these values, but he certainly has the values. And so I think, um, you know, ideal theory comes in when you start doing philosophical reflection on the values. You try to think harder about what you care about and why you care about it and how the different things you care about fit together and, and all that stuff. And what I'd say, like the sort of, you know, function of having a theory of like what would count as uh, you know, what would count as, as achieving maximal justice, like what that does for you is not, okay, therefore we'll make the soil comply, you know, with the party's plan for the subway, you know, that we'll just, we'll just sort of force reality into this shape and ignore all the problems, you know, like, yeah, I mean, be a historical materialist, understand, you know, the, you know, like this view, you know, like have an understanding of, of how real history works and what possibilities it creates and all that stuff. But then like, you know, when you're trying to figure out, okay, which of these, which, you know, which of the possibilities inherent in the present do I want to, do I want to bring into existence? That choice is guided by, Hey, is it closer or is it further away from, right. from, from what I would consider to be justice? Uh, and it could be that, you know, you can never get like all the way or whatever that, you know, whatever there's, you know, history is no, no obligation to, to, you know, cooperate with our desires in that way, you know, but like, um, but you want to get closer, you know, I mean, if you think that there is such a thing as progress, which, you know, I mean, clearly again, Marx did, you know, it's like, you should be a weird thing to like really seriously not believe, right. You know, then like there has to be some way, some a historical way of, of like measuring societies against each other and saying, okay, you know, this is better than this. Like, this is a more desirable outcome than that one. And I think that's what ideal theory goes does for you. That'd be my argument. Now, that's all totally consistent with saying Rawls's ideal theory sucks or Cohen's ideal theory sucks, uh, and you, you you shouldn't believe what you know. And and like, there are huge problems in their arguments or whatever. Uh, not you know, not my position, but I mean, like, I, I I did want to kind of address that part before getting into the weeds about what these guys you know what these guys actually think and, and like what the good objections to those are um well we're half an hour in so do you want to switch to kind of going through well first starting with the difference principle and then kind of going 
to Cohen's even kind of stronger views on equality of opportunity and outcome. Sure. So, so yeah, Rawls, um, you know, so, so Rawls, the difference principle, we kind of said it earlier, but to, just to be clear, like the difference principle is the idea that, um, uh, people behind choosing societies behind the veil of ignorance might reluctantly accept some inequality, uh, because, um, because it would still, you know, it could be like the example earlier about, um, providing a little bit extra for, you know, for engineers. So more, more people want to be engineers. So they'll come up with, you know, various technical innovations that will mean the productive resources of society are greater. And, you know, that like ultimately, even if you're not an engineer, even if you don't have that potential and, you know, you're left holding the shorter end of the stick, if that's still longer than the equal symmetrical sticks of the more equal societies, then, uh, then that's, uh, that's still the one you should, um, you know, that's still the one you might pick, right? You know, it's like, yeah, I'd, I'd rather have, um, you know, I'd rather have like slightly less of much more, right? Than, right. Than, there's, there's no danger of rules falling to the downgrading argument of mm -hmm. like the critique of equality of outcome that basically says that if you care, care about equality of outcome, then in at least some cases, you want to make the world poorer than it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's Rawls. Um, and so that the two conditions he gives for, uh, for accepting some inequalities in, uh, in outcome are one that there's some sort of reasonable, uh, baseline of equal opportunity for, uh, for, uh, for the better outcomes, uh, that, you know, that we're not just like excluding people who, uh, who could do the better rewarded jobs or whatever for arbitrary reasons. Uh, and then two, uh, that the um, that the any inequality is is still um, still works out to the benefit of the um, uh, of the the worst off uh, and Rawls uh, Rawl, sorry so Cohen rejects this Cohen thinks um, Cohen thinks even no this isn't this isn't demandingly egalitarian enough or at least this is the standard way of reading Cohen and I should say I mean it's worth pausing for a second to say that. Uh, some, like, I think it's easy to just sort of read Rawls carelessly enough that you think that this is an endorsement of the level of inequality that we have under capitalism, but, uh, it's really not, and it can't be. And Rawls himself, to his credit, did, uh, reluctantly eventually concede that point, you know, by the, by the end of his life. Uh, there's a book about this by William Edmondson called John Rawls, Reticiate Socialist, you know, it's like, look, you know, I said the essay Rawls was not a, uh, a, a radical firebrand uh, by uh, by instinct, like to put it mildly, like, he, he, you know, he didn't even like to sign petitions. Uh, he uh, uh, he was, you know, I mean, I, I, I think he, he just wanted to, like, hang out in his study and and write very abstract arguments. And, you know, I'm sure vote for Democrats every few years or whatever. But like, you know, like, like, like he, he he was not a troublemaker, you know, in his life. But uh, he did eventually come to, to see that his, his theory that like the difference principle is inconsistent with capitalism because, I mean, sure, you know, even if you say, okay, we can have some inequality if you need it, you know, if like not having it, you know, is going to be worse for everybody because, you know, incentives, et cetera, et cetera. But like, come on, you don't need uh, – the average CEO making 400 times 
the salary of the average worker. You don't need, you know, you don't need like um, some people sleeping on the streets, you know, and, you know, it's like all that stuff. Right. I mean, that that's clearly just way beyond what the theory would authorize. And he does. I, I'm not going to re- read the essay. I go through all this, you know, probably too much detail, but they have a, but I'll just say that like, eventually he, he ends up sort of saying, yeah, okay. Um, I guess probably you would need some form of socialism in order to actually have something that was consistent with the theory. He does, he does, he does concede the point in, in his last book, the uh, justice and fairness, a restatement. So big caveat to all this, but, uh, but Cohen uh, thinks, uh, Cohen doesn't even want to go along with this because Cohen has, you know, wants to like really sort of pick on that part about equality of opportunity. It's like, okay, what does equality of opportunity actually mean? Right. He wants to think harder about that because, you know, he says any conception of quality of opportunity is a conception of like, okay, which, which obstacles to some people getting the better outcome are, are bad, right? Which ones should we be trying to remove? And so he calls bourgeois quality of opportunities to the idea that, well, essentially it's the legal obstacles that we should, you know, that we should be worried about, or, you know, the obstacles that are about status, where status means like race or caste, or, you know, whether you're born as a peasant or a noble or things like that, that like things that aren't about your individual characteristics, but are about like, you know, your, your group identity where like, you know, I, I was, I was thinking, if kind of in the 15th century, there was a better chance of an English peasant becoming a, a noble than there is currently of kind of like a, a, a young boy from like a very marginal family um, becoming a billionaire. And I wasn't, I wasn't sure which the answer was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, probably still the second, but uh, cause, uh, but yeah, maybe, maybe in some forms of feudalism, there is some weird mechanism. You know, for, well, I mean, there's, there's always mechanisms. We like always, we really stereotype past societies, right? Yeah. They're, they're never actually as brutal. And because we basically like the form of feudalism that exists in our conception yeah. is something we've made up, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, right. So I think that, like, um, I mean, typically, like, you know, if you have serfdom, at least that kind of feudalism, then, um, that the serf is like legally not allowed to even leave, like never mind, you know, set up for themselves. So like that's like a pretty severe uh, violation of bourgeois quality of opportunity. Um, and it's it's like what you know the liberal revolution, you know, like the the bourgeois revolution was was about. And it's you know for and look what if whatever for that matter it's like what the civil rights movement was about that they yeah. had uh, saying uh, you can't have these arbitrary obstacles to individuals getting better outcome based on, uh, based on their, um, their sort of, you know, gr- like which category they're born into. Yeah. And, you I know, mean, kind of, this, yeah. is, I, I, this is a lot about what I write about in my PhD as yeah. well as and other stuff, which is to say that kind of liberalism successfully achieved bourgeois equality more mm-hmm. or less in terms of overturning all legal, legal obstacles yep. and then reached a point of crisis and kind of collapse and exhaustion. Cause it did all these things. And everyone was like, but things are still shit. Like you, yeah, you yeah. all the stuff yeah. and then. <laughs> and look, I mean, there were people by like the late 1790s who'd kind of realized that, uh, that, you know, that just achieving this, you know, wasn't going to, you know, wasn't going to result in a society that wasn't shit. Right. Like, I mean, this is why, yeah, those like, you know, proto-communists at the sort of like tail end of the French revolution, you know, uh, conspiracy of equals and all that stuff. Um, 
you know, because yeah, unfortunately, it's it's pretty obvious. Well, I mean, even like, even in the English Revolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the levelers and diggers and all that stuff. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, totally. So you you want to say okay? Um, look, achieving this like we don't have serfdom we don't have slavery you know we don't we don't have a you know apartheid you know women are allowed to vote all that stuff right like this is this is all really important stuff uh this is like real civilizational progress but it also yeah for, like you're saying like it, it only goes so far you know you, you like everything's still kind of shit you know uh once once that's been achieved um and and so then like one level down uh sort of deeper you have what he calls left liberal equality of opportunity, which is where you say, okay, we're going to try to compensate, not just for the sort of, you know, we're not, we're not just going to try to remove kind of legal barriers, but we're also going to try to remove certain kind of social barriers that like, uh, so he gives the example of like Head Start programs to, to, you know, um, to help with like early childhood education, you know, to like try to get people who, who come from more disadvantaged backgrounds to, you know, kind of better, you know, starting point. Uh, as an example of a trend attempt to, to uh, as an attempt to uh, to implement left liberal equality of opportunity, but then he says, but even that, it's not like, you know, even that doesn't really get to the nub of the issue because because you can, you know, left liberal equality of opportunity is still totally consistent with saying, well, if you don't like test well, and uh, and and you don't have like the particular combination of cognitive potential and social aptitudes and you know whatever like the particular combination of things that are rewarded by like kind of professional managerial class career hierarchies um you know the ability to to you know schmooze in a compelling way you know so people want to promote you whatever like uh if you don't have that through no fault of your own like you know because everybody can get better at those things but that doesn't mean you know there's a there's a limit right you know uh there's so uh then through no fault of your own, you, know, you could still end up with like way worse economic outcomes than, than people who, who do. And, you know, we all like, and so, so it says really what we should want is what he calls socialist equality of opportunity, which is where he says, you just don't have any unchosen um, disadvantage basically that like, you know, you, you say the kinds of barriers to people getting better outcomes we're interested in or anything that doesn't stem from from your own choices that you know I mean, you're, there's a line you use and it was one which made me incredibly suspicious where you have cohen saying something which basically says like anything that we might really strongly desire or, or one of something that we what well, do you remember the line i'm talking about oh yeah yeah so so this is so the socialist quality of opportunity formulation comes from his his little thin book why not socialism which, which is sort of the most accessible cohen uh, he has, but uh, in in his academic paper, um, uh, equality of what uh, he says. Well, uh, what we should um, ultimately, he says, um, the kind of the most important kind of quality is equality of access to advantage. So he's just being incredibly general, right, about like what sort of things we're we're trying to equalize, and um, you know that's like you know because I I don't know maybe I could like go back and look at that paper. Maybe there's, there's like a more clarification than I'm remembering, but as far as I can recall, right. Like that, that's just sort of good stuff. Right. You know, that's like, right. like because, we're, we're, because, because that re that really sets me off because you can accept as, as you suggest that kind of um, 
kind of that that garbage men should be paid as much as well, doctors. Sure. Or or that we shouldn't even have a system where either of them get paid in any real sense, you know. Sure, sure. Um but I'm not at all with the idea that kind of a garbage man should have as much social prestige as a doctor. And maybe that makes me some kind of elitist. But, and I don't think you can possibly deny that kind of no, social prestige. more. They, 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 they should be, you know, it's like, it's like look, you, you have a, you, man, you know, you're, you're, you're only willing to work at an antiseptic hospital. This man is a hero. He's willing to, like, get down there with the trash so that the rest of us don't have to deal with it. Oh, obviously, because, because doctors don't have to go anywhere disgusting. Eh. <laughs> it's all disinfected, you know. This, 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 this is just work. This is like kind of I don't know. It's not quite tailing, but it's something that people do. It's quite funny. Um, but yeah, I and and I don't think no, you possibly, sure. possibly possibly deny that social prestige is is like people will almost prefer social prestige to bread. You know, like mm. as humans, we're desperate for social prestige. So I don't think you can possibly deny uh, that it doesn't fit kind of Cohen's formulation as as it was written sure. there. Totally. Unless there's some kind of clarification. Otherwise, so for me that really that really sets me off, and it kind of gets to the stuff that I'm really suspicious of on the left, where it feels yeah. like people are rejecting the idea of merit. Yeah. So uh, okay, so that's interesting. Uh, so I would say that look. So we want to separate out a couple of different issues. One is what's the sort of um, you know, what's the sort of ideal, um, like what would count as like maximal distributive justice? And then the other is okay, but like on balance, what do we actually want? Right. So, um, you know, like, cause you could come up with any number of dystopian things that would, um, that, you know, that would, uh, that would like, give people more equal outcomes in one way or another, right? You know, you, you, you could, uh, you could have, um, like, you know, I give the example there of like redistributing eyeballs, you know, to, uh, to, to the blind, uh, against people's will, uh, which is an example. There's, there's some one. kind of like famous novel they assign in high school about, or oh, is it a short story? Like a society where they like, they weigh down the strong with weights, you know? Yeah, I think that's the but curve. Not, but that, that leads to them becoming like going Super Saiyan because they're so strong at the end or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, a ridiculous yeah. story. Yeah, sure, right. But it's like, uh, but yeah, we don't want Harrison Bergeron. We we, we don't like obviously like obviously uh, on balance that would be very bad, you know, to to do that, and um, and and it also could just just be that there's like uh, to you know. I mean, whoever's whoever's right in that very serious debate we were having about, you know, how how we should award social prestige to to different professions, comparatively, right? It's it's not like uh, we want, you know, like like we might just sort of see some value in people exercising, you know, critical evaluation of things uh, and and sort of seeing things clearly as they are or something, you know, which 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 would be that like some people you know, enjoy less social prestige than others, or, you know, we have, uh, you know, we certainly, um, or also like, it could be that, look, uh, if, you know, as we equalize resources that we need to actually, we, we really need to lean on social prestige, like as an incentive to, uh, to get people to become doctors, for example. Right. You know, that's like, if we're not going to give well, you more, for me, it's like under communism, 
if we aren't when you write a novel or you do any kind of creative work or whatever if the reward isn't social prestige it's nothing right yeah 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 totally, obviously, right? obviously some people will do it for self-satisfaction or whatever but then why even publish it right if you yeah. aren't getting some kind of social reward you're getting nothing and then sure yeah why so does anyone why, why does anyone bother to do anything apart from like heroin too uh i'm so curious about heroin too now um, <laughs> i mean it's just fentanyl <laughs> see i was thinking that like this would be some kind of amazing like high-tech <laughs> communist future heroin that like we can't even imagine but it's like now just fentanyl uh okay so uh so yeah right like uh i think that's all reasonable it's it's all like look we could say uh there are a variety of things that for all sorts to be, of reasons to be, to be clear people in chat are very against the the social prestige thing i don't know if you've been reading but we are uh, live we, we should bring up the fact that there I, is a chat there I've, I've, glanced, I've glanced at it a few times but look i mean i'm not even like particularly you know it could be that like social prestige has its uses that for all sorts of reasons right that like you know we um, you know, we want to, we want to have people who are doctors. So we, you know, when we get sick, uh, we, uh, we want to have, uh, we want to have great novels cause we, we value, you know, beauty and, you know, human insight or whatever. And so like on balance, very evenly awarded <laughs> social prestige, you know, could, uh, could be, could be totally justifiable for any of these purposes. Um, and you know, you could also, I should also say probably a lot of this, you could just like, you know, you could just sort of do a friendly amendment to Cohen where you say, well, come on, advantage is too much, man. You know, let's, let's, let's right. come up with some narrower concept that we want to, uh, you know, that we want to, you know, just, just say resources or something and much of what. Yeah, that relates it more to the material or the concrete. You know, much of what all these guys say would, would still be true. I mean, I, I, I do, you know, I do think it's like a little bit complicated because, because I think if we like, um, assign like you know we do all think it's like really objectionable to like assign prestige on the basis of like skin color which i'm not suggesting that that's like morally analogous to assigning it on the basis of writing a great novel but it does suggest that we don't see how social prestige is assigned so totally morally neutral uh you know well, i mean it's, it's obviously interesting that i think the kind of there's a very interesting thing about pretty privilege right <laughs> yeah uh which man, which, which is uh, it, the, it, the abolition of pretty privilege sounds maybe more dystopian than anything else we've talked about right because uh, you think about it and you're like well it, it 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 is actually unfair in some significant way that beautiful people are trapped better than other people but what the fuck can we actually do about it you know yeah yeah uh sure right and like so there's there's like sometimes there are things you can do you know, I, I think in Cohen's view, sometimes there are certain kinds of unequally distributed advantages that there's nothing you can do about just just practically uh, that that they're they're just like, you know, we, we can't come up with a solution. Uh, there could be things where we can come up with a solution, but it, but it's not worth it on balance when we weigh other values that we care about, you know, against this. That's all totally fair. But like Cohen's general point is that. um is you know he thinks that a society is is unjust to the extent that it's still a distributed advantage on the basis of factors it's still unequally distributed advantage on the basis of factors outside people's control so that they uh, that you have um that you know if you're worse off because um 
because of things that you can't control, whether that be, you know, race or gender or whatever, or whether that be you're born into a better or worse off family, or whether that be, you know, you, you don't like have the, um, you know, like there's a point in the essay where I use the example of like a society that's ruled by a warrior caste, but it allows for upward mobility. You can win a spot by trial, by combat, you know, like I would be profoundly fucked in that society. And you know, that, that, that does maybe selfishly strike me as, as objectionably unjust. Uh, well, and also, you know, it's not great again for whoever's getting trialed against, right? Yeah, 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 totally. Right. I mean, normally, um, normally even when you have like a, a successful warrior cast, it's only not very fun for the warrior cast either. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, some, not all, but some of these points apply to uh, the kinds of, of uh, even the even kinds of inequalities, with, not just the kinds of inequalities within capitalist society that come from like, okay, you know, is your dad Jeff Bezos or a warehouse worker? But like also the kinds of inequalities that like meritocrats celebrate about capitalism that like, you you know, it's like, oh, you, you know, certain, you know, exceptional people can excel and, you know, get the, you know, climb their way up the class structure and all that stuff, right? Cohen still thinks even that's actionable because, you know, the feature being rewarded even though they're different features than the warrior cast example are still on the distributed you don't get to pick whether you have them so at this point it looks like there's uh <laughs> there's a uh yeah okay yeah merit badges uh I'm, I'm not, if you have merit unequally or i don't know what the point is of having them if the Soviets with all their medals, they would that was their transition to a communist society. They're eventually gonna replace money just with badges and, and, and medals. Yeah. You have the uh, that's man, I would I would have loved that if that were like uh you know, in the critique of the Gotha program, if you know, in between the <laughs> the lower phase of communism <laughs> where we uh distribute consumption on the basis of what you put in production. And the higher, well, no, I mean, he just kind of says that there's some, there should be some limit to to kind of how things are distributed, and he suggests it could be it could be kind of expiring money or whatever, fake money, not real money in some significant way. Yeah, well, yeah, it could but, also be badges. Well, well, that's the thing. It's like maybe in between that lower phase where you know you get you get to actually consume more if you were if you work more, and the higher phase where we just don't worry about this shit anymore because we have so much to go around and we have so much material abundance. If he proposed a middle phase where we, uh, where uh, you know, resources are all distributed to, uh, uh, equally, but you know, but like work incentives happen on the basis of, of like gold star stickers, you know, that you know, which yeah, uh, you know, I, I can see it, but um, but yeah, so right now it looks like there's a fairly straightforward difference that. Um, that Rawls is willing to say, okay, we can ha- we can have less inequality in exchange for more efficiency that benefits everybody, and and Cohen is uh, is said no 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 you know we're going to insist on this higher standard of quality, and um, and again people want to see that you know like a sort of natural frame to look at that through, given knowing a couple things about each of these guys is okay. Rawls is a liberal, Cohen's a Marxist, so that makes sense. You know, Cohen is to Rawls is left on equality but then where i think it gets more complicated is that there is a certain sense we're just talking about the critique of the goth program there's a certain sense in which marx in there signs off on something that sounds a lot like the difference principle to me saying that in the lower phase of communist society um 
it's uh you know like yeah i mean you know he he does suggest having uh having distribution and, and i'm trying to be very careful about how the, my formulation because it's it'd be a lot easier to say this if we could just say like how much you're paid or something like that but yeah, like yeah you're clear that we're not talking about money anymore exactly how much of your not money you get yeah yeah how much of your not money you get is going to be based on the duration or intensity of your labor um and uh then um and then like uh even though you know he's saying look it's, it's not like people deserve more for duration or intensity he's very clear on that he's like look you know he makes this this very coedian point about how how unevenly distributed talents of all kinds are in the critique of the growth program that they, that, you know, that you, you know, some people can work harder or longer than others. Some people have different capacities. Uh, but he says, you know, but like the idea certainly seems to me to be, well, you like in this early phase of communist society, communism is emerges directly from capitalism, uh, given that people still have attitudes towards work that, you know, that are held over from capitalism, given that you don't have this material superabundance yet, uh, you know, then you, you want to, you want to set things up in this way. So people are rewarded for, you know, duration or intensity. So, so as to have more people working more and, uh, and you've, you've built up, you know, so, so you can get to that abundance, which was sure sounds to me like saying, yeah, okay. A little bit of inequality under, not under your control is okay because it gets you to um because it that uh because that you know like more stuff ends up being produced which is better for everybody which is just the difference principle uh and and so now it seems like uh now it seems like marx perversely is actually on coincide of the argument and rolls yeah uh, sorry is on is on rolls side of the argument not cohen's um but you know i i think there's a sense in which he is. There's a sense in which he isn't. I know we're, I know we're, we're, we're running, uh, you know, I know we're, we're running a little bit over, over, over time here. So I, I don't know whether to just say, Hey, read the essay or, uh, or, or to where you want to take the last part of the conversation. Uh, sorry. I had something to say and I've, I've kind of lost it in that, in that. Okay. Moment. All right. Yeah. <laughs> what, what were we on? Yeah. So, okay. So, so the question that I'm interested in asking here, like part of the impetus for this, like I remember, um, you know, I, I can remember. Right, yeah, I was, I was going to say that for me, it, it kind of seemed to me like what you were doing was kind of being like, everyone thinks Marx is like the total equality guy. Mm -hmm. But if you really look into it, he's actually not the total equality guy. But for yeah. me, I'm like, well, Marx isn't the equality guy. Yeah. Marx is, Marx is the freedom guy. Marx is the guy who says, you know, um, the bourgeois class has said that in modernity, uh, we've kind of freed people, we've freed desires, we've freed mm. uh, capacity, human capacity to do anything at once, to build anything at once, not just to be affected by the world, but to change the world mm -hmm. uh, in, in complete ways to, you know, to build the Suez Canal, to build the Panama yeah. Canal, to, to change how the continents are shaped, uh, to change how the seas flow and all those kind of things. But the Marxist says, okay, you've done all that, but you're, you're slave to this one silly principle that all these things have to make money. Yeah. And so instead of a thousand different laws of the feudal class where saying, you know, you can't raise doves even if you really want to because you're this class and you're not that class, we've condensed all these laws into one simple law 
Yeah. Um, that we have to be subject to money. But this this law is is just a much is just kind of like a simplified tyranny. And the real and and it, it, it's the thing which is against general human freedom. And the, the move is to say, well, why do we have to care about that law? Why can't we just do engage in whatever projects, whatever creations um, we want? And and for me, kind of mm-hmm. equality is kind of something. If it's important, it's it's important to set the grounds for that because you know you're you're abolishing all to do that you need to abolish kind of all the systems which would structure society so that it has to flow yeah. based on these rules so that you have to abolish all the things that would restrict various persons from doing the things mm-hmm. they want and so on and so on um but for me kind of the the equality stuff is kind of just secondary well uh yeah, I get that. I mean, I think that the, um, I mean, I think that, you know, Marx, um, you know, is fairly clear, you know, in that discussion, the critique of the Goethe program that is not, you know, indifferent to uh, uh, straightforward distributive equality, like of consumption, you know, that the, uh, you know, I mean, his analysis is that, you know, the reason that we have one that's so bad under capitalism is, is that it's a, it's a function of capitalist property relations. You change the property relations, you'll change you know, that you'll, you'll get, you'll end up with, with different, uh, consumption, you know, and he does have views about that that he expresses, you know, says like, basically, again, it's so hard to do this, uh, without, you know, using terms that are going to be inaccurate, like money or the state, you know, but, um, but the, you know, but like all these like welfare statey kinds of things that he talks about in that first chapter, he says like, we're going to have much more of that under socialism, you know, which he certainly seems to think is a good thing. But look, I agree with you that like the, the where his like heart really is, like what, what he cares about the most is, uh, is, is, is freedom, right. Freedom to pursue your own projects, et cetera, which, um, you know, it's also like, I mean, bring in that famous quote from, uh, from capital volume three about the, the realm of freedom, uh, uh, you know that's like starts when we we leave you know the the realm of of you know of like having to work you know that they uh that basically look just because you work in a worker controlled factory doesn't mean that you suddenly like working in a factory you know that they uh, that, uh well, what was what's is it by you or someone else who says you know the, the hell is the firm yeah not who so, owns it yeah yeah uh yeah you know i think that's true in one way it's not true in another maybe that that's a different discussion but they have a but like but yeah right like you know but he but like what marx is very very concerned with is is your ability to like you know i mean look if you read capital i mean ultimately the you know when he talks about exploitation i mean like where he's like okay we could we could do this by talking about money we could do this by talking about uh value uh but um but what he's really most interested in is is like the extraction of surplus labor is the is is your time being taken away from you right you know what he's what he's most concerned with is like your time being your own to pursue i mean like going straight for the economic and philosophical manuscripts of 1844 where he's talking to he has that like prose poetry about you know going fencing and going to plays and all these things you know that make us really human you know to up through that you know discussion in capital volume three i mean like this is a consistent thread throughout all his work he's really interested in in this kind of positive freedom this 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 freedom to uh you know this 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 ability and practice to live your life how you want to live it to pursue the projects you want to pursue but what i would suggest to to sort of tie it in with with rawls and cohen is that hey 
that is a kind of advantage. It's the kind of advantage that that uh, that Marx is uh, is is most concerned with, and it's one that is very unequally distributed under the first phase of communism because. Um, because if consumption is still tied to how much time you're spending at work, you know, then, uh, which it, it very explicitly is in the critique of the Gotha program, you know, description of the first phase of communism, then, uh, then, then, yeah, your your how much of your time is your own to pursue your own projects, you know, is is unevenly distributed because you know because you, you are still being, you know, forced to some extent to uh, to to work in in some of the you know like even much less so, but, you know, to some degree, the way that you are under capitalism. So, I mean, this, this is still like, you know, like, I mean, you're right. Like, I think he cares more about, um, you know, ultimately he cares more about, you know, uh, about, you know, the sort of advantage that we get from being able to have our own time and pursue our own projects. But I mean, that's still, so, that's still a good about what you could ask. Uh, do, do some people have more than, than others? And if so, what justifies it? Well, I think that's kind of importantly, um, we, that, that's the manner in which he kind of endorses the difference principle, if we, if we can say he does. In the way that I mentioned much earlier in the show, where I talked about a kind of a different roles who for these principles aren't universal like historical principles, but ones that apply to a particular area that emerge out of a particular subject. I think if there's a degree, there's a manner in which Marx and Dawkins is the difference principle, it's in that sense that I put. Um, and yeah, obviously kind of things in the lowest stage of communism is, is not an ideal society, but that's kind of the point, right? Yeah, well, that's the so that's the question, right? You know, so it's not an ideal society, and and that actually I think gets to something that uh, we talked about a little bit earlier, but I, I did see it. I have not been reading most of the chat, but I, I, I see bits and pieces, you know, that like I, I see has been brought. I've, back. I've been reading it all, which is quite hard. While I'm also listening to you, and also I've been drinking, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You should probably focus on drinking and talking. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> do do less of the uh the look at the chat but you know look at it a little bit right? no i these but, are the uh, people they're the ones yeah. that matter i mean it sounds to me like you're now who's nick <laughs> now i'm the garbage right? man <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no but like say you know oh how can marx be the sort of freedom guy or the equality guy or like have any sort of conception of what's an ideal society because he's the historically determined guy and and this is something that, that I would kind of hold the line on to say, yeah, look, Marx definitely like like there's a famous line in the critique of the Goethe program where it says right can never be higher than the you know material conditions that give rise to it or something like that. I'm messing it up slightly, but like it's you know very close to that. Um and that's often quoted in order to show that he doesn't believe in sort of trans-historical standards that, you know, you can, you can judge particular societies at particular times against, but um, this is not a point that's original to me. I mean, Cohen says in his essay about Isaiah Berlin, seems to me that it shows exactly the opposite, that they, uh, it, it shows that he does precisely, he does believe that, right? In other words, like, that if, you know, like, if he says right can't be higher, right? You know, that's like, we're, we're you know, there were suggesting that, um that there is a scale of higher and lower and sure how high you can get up on that scale uh, depends on the, the material conditions of any particular society, how those exchanges with nature to, to meet human use values, you know, work uh, in, uh, in that society. 
but um, but it also suggests that we do in fact have a scale, right? You know that we could that we could use to to judge different societies against. And uh, and once you've got a scale, I'm afraid you are on the ideal theory business. You know, I mean, like which which I think uh, how his implicit ideal theory fits with these other ideal theories we've been talking about. I think that's like a much more substantive issue that, you know, I think there's like way more room for, for disagreement on and, you know, yeah, I guess read the essay, but uh, the, I, I think, um, and then, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess at some point we're going to have to schedule a time for, for you and me to, to argue about the veil of ignorance too. <laughs> yeah, we can, if you want, I mean, yeah, reverse heaven. I mean, now that I've called it reverse heaven, we have to we have to do. Now that that that's my kind of um, original thesis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What we should really do is you should just write a guest essay on the substack called "Why I Don't Believe in Reverse Heaven," and then, uh, and then I could, uh, and then we could we could do one of these and talk about yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. Um, yeah. So so I should say uh the so yeah uh the this essay that we've been talking about uh for anybody who missed the one of these we did last week is um is on uh the shiny new philosophy substack uh philosophy for the people that's ben burgess.substack let me post uh, the link dot com can you um, um can you see the viewing numbers by the way uh no i can't i should be posting this throughout uh, but I wasn't. Yeah. Um, but no, we were we were up to like 150, 120. Nice. Point, so very good. Nice. Uh, yeah, but I, I th yeah. See, so there you go. The uh, the, the the people. Uh, you know the uh, the people want more GA Cohen. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely here for Cohen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Not adults at tones. What's that? Not our dulcet No, no. Um, nope. Uh, it's a Cohen. Um, the, but yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yeah. We'll we'll switch. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give them a counter argument. Uh, in all seriousness, if you want to, this that. is true. You can just have a series of taller guys. You don't need an absolutely tall guy unless we're Platonists. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, you, what you need is a, is a way of deciding what the direction is, right? Yeah. So like you could, yeah, it's a what, standard of assessment, right? And once you've got that, once you've got a way of, um, I mean, in, in a way, I mean, we, we do, um, I mean, look, we, you know, we do have a conception of, of what the maximally tall guy would be a, a guy who's, who's infinity feet tall. Do we? Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's I don't think that's a real object in our minds, though. In the same sense that you know, we can't we can't re like a thousand people and ten thousand people look the same to us, you know. Yeah, but like there's a uh, but so so there are two there are two questions there. Well, right, one is like what would be um, I I don't know why I'm dying on the cell, but I'm just going to go for it. Uh, they have a one would be uh, what's. Uh, uh, <laughs> You know. Stefan and Ben do metaphysics really badly. <laughs> yeah, 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 we, should yeah, end, exactly. we should end every show doing that. We kind of began <laughs> the last show doing that, but we should end every show doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just, we just, we just start like doing some like really esoteric metaphysical subject that neither of us have thought about at all. <laughs> <laughs> just, and just kind of like doing it on the fly. It's like, well, 
I don't know. I mean, do we have a conception of a maximally tall person? Uh, like, uh, you know, you can say maybe there's one that's like logically implicit in the way that we use high terms, even if we don't have a good sense of what it is. I, I didn't even see that. Read the label. Um, it's it's uh, it's a cider, which is also blood orange. I thought it would just be kind of a hint of orange, but it's just it's orange as fuck. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. So uh, so yeah, we'll get uh, you know we're still improving. We'll next next week we'll we'll get a little crawler with the Substack link on the bottom of the screen. But uh, and um, what's 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 the if you decided what the next essay is. Uh, yeah, uh, so uh, the next essay is in one way going to, well, let me put it this way. In one way, it's going to be similar to the subject this week because they're both about uh, Marxist philosophers, uh, This this or in part about Marxist philosophers because this week was in part about Cohen and Marx himself. Um but relative to that, I think it is as far as it could possibly be uh, from the kind of Marxist philosopher we were talking about this week. So um, it's uh, here, here's a further hint uh, that the person next week that I say is going to be about uh, doesn't live in Croatia, doesn't live in Serbia, but we are in the right <laughs> part of the world. Not Slovakia either. <laughs> Uh, not Slovakia, not Slovakia, although we are. Well, you're, doing... you're keeping it secret, or you just kind uh, of, you're not far through it enough to really tell. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm too funny right now. Uh, no, it's the, uh, it's, it's the, um, so the world's most famous Slovenian is Melania Trump, and then I guess Lucas is number two. Uh, this, this would be number three. Mm. Great. Uh, yeah. No, it's gonna it's gonna be about Slavoj Žižek. Uh, can uh, can drop the uh, can drop the pretense. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a very um, like you know because uh, obvious like okay, so the first one was historical philosophy, but it's sort of proto analytic uh, right. historical philosophy. You know, it's a um, you know, the kind of English philosopher who, or Scottish, whatever, you know, uh, same difference. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you can be the same thing. Uh, but uh, the, uh, who, you know, who like, you know, 20th and 21st century analytic philosophers love David Hume. And then uh, the, uh, and then, and then this one was, you know, other than Marx about uh, contemporary uh, analytic philosophers and uh you know so th thought it might be interested to do one about like the least analytic philosopher in the world <laughs> who nevertheless i'm a big fan of you missed it because you aren't in the sublation chat but i fucking hated czx latest guardian article or maybe it's one before the one about ukraine i hated it so so much but then the one he, he published in sublation was actually quite good i quite liked it doug thought yeah. i would hate it but i quite liked it actually uh, yeah, I mean, I disagree with a lot of his his commentary on the Ukraine stuff, uh, which um, which he is uh, he is not unaware of uh, the uh, that uh, that I disagree with this. Uh, I I saw him in person uh, last uh, uh, last summer, and, and it you know I mean nobody yelled at anybody or anything, but it, it, you know it it came up briefly uh, that. Uh, um, and you know, I, like, cause he's, you know, uh, 
he said something about, you know, uh, like, you know, anyway, basically I, th- I, I think he thinks that I'm like a unreasonable hippie about stuff like that. But, uh, well, uh, at least you're not a Stalinist like me. <laughs> so he's meant to be a Stalinist too. So I don't know how that works. That's confusing. Um, yeah. Like the, definitely everybody agrees the problem with Zizek is he's either too much of a Stalinist or not enough of a Stalinist. You know that, like, yeah. I mean, one, I'm, I, and to be clear, I, I, we could all agree that he isn't, isn't hitting just the right level of Stalinism. <laughs> to be clear, I, I quite like Zizek. Um, I, I don't hate him. Um, I did yeah. really hate Isolo, but that's kind of no. He, know, he, he, it's, he, it's, he, good. it's good that he can inspire us to hate him too. Uh, yeah, because yeah. most people can't make me hate them. They're not nearly that powerful, you know. Yeah. No, he's. Um, yeah, I mean, look, he definitely has opinions that I disagree with. Uh, he uh, he definitely, uh, you know, not just that one. He he definitely has, um, you know, like intellectual influences that are very alien to me. Uh, the uh, you will um, uh, that uh, you know. I mean, I I, I have um, you know like. If you're waiting for the Substack post where I give you all my opinions about Lacan, you know they they have you you will you will wait in vain. Uh, yeah. uh, but uh, but I I do I do think I do think that he's I do think that he's like pretty interested and insightful that there's some stuff to say there. Uh, but uh, I will endeavor to be more concise about it, and uh, and we will uh, I guess we'll talk about that last week. Oh, next week uh, I should I should also say. Uh, that since um, we should, we're entering into the two-week zone where we should never be doing anything on either This Is Revolution or GTAA without mentioning this. Uh, so uh, it is worth mentioning that uh, two weeks from today, on uh, January 22nd, uh, not, um, uh, you know, not Stefan, who's 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 stuck on a on a dismal island uh, across the ocean, but uh, the uh, a bunch of other this is revolution people, uh, or certainly at least a couple others, Jason Miles, uh, Deep State Cuba, uh, are uh, and then me, uh, the GTA crew, uh, Jake and Andy, um, as well as various uh, alumni producers uh, of the of the show. We've gone through a couple, but they'll all be there. Uh, and uh, Matt and David from Left Reckoning, and uh, and Emma Vigland and Bhaskar Sankara and Sam Cedar uh, will all be at this live show. Uh, give them a revolution show in New York. Uh, so that's at uh, Penn Station. Or it's like it's at the Cutting Room, which is like half a mile away from Penn Station. Uh, at uh, doors open at six. Uh, show starts at seven on January twenty second, and I presume that Gene put a link to that in the description for this episode. Possibly, <laughs> possibly. I don't. I would add link it, but I don't have the link. I could probably just yeah. Google "This is Revolution Live Show." I mean, yes, you can certainly do that, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, if you just yeah Google like this revolution cutting room or you know something like that, you'll you'll definitely see it right away. But uh, but yeah, we we should be we should be dropping that link into everything. Uh, yeah, you will get to see various characters from the uh, the uh, TIR GTA LR extended universe, uh, either on stage or at least milling around. You know the uh, all the uh, 
uh, you know, all of the, uh, the, you know, like, you know, Jordan Dubin, you know, all the Dubin heads out there, you know, can go, uh, can go say hi to her, you know, uh, before or after the show. Uh, you might be able to find out what Toussaint looks like. You might. Yeah, this is, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we would, we you would. You won't show find you. out what Tucson's duck looks like, sadly, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we would, we would show you on, on screen, but it's like drawing Muhammad. Uh, you <laughs> can't, uh, can't do it. Uh, there's, a there's a ban on visual representation of Tucson, but, uh, but she would be there in person at the show. Great. Um, well, let's end it there. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Let me press the fucking button. I mean, I just, I, I feel like chat would just keep going for like half an hour more. So, so having fun talking to each other. I haven't done it yet now. Okay. I'm doing it now. I'm clicking okay. the sorry, sorry, the, the tone of your voice made it sound like you thought we were off there. No, so. no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, to to game. <laughs> I'm clicking it now.